Good morning all, this is Randy Brunson with Centurion Advisor Group here on this episode of our Stewarding Family Wealth Podcast. You can learn more about Centurion Advisor Group at Centurion AG. You can find the Stewarding Family Wealth Podcast wherever you pull down your podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or iTunes. But we are in the studio today at Gwinnett Business Radio X, and we are pleased to be here. Today, it is going to be a, what do you call that, a soliloquy? Where just somebody gets behind a microphone and talks. So it's me, but here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about the stock market from 2021, what happened, and perhaps even a few prognostications about what may happen in 22 and 23. But before we start talking about what happened in 21, let's talk about why it matters to track performance. And most of you that are listening have assets that you put to work for some reason. You own some basket of stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. You might own income-generating real estate. You might own a business. So why does it matter to track what's going on to track performance or outcomes or results with investment portfolios, income-generating real estate, or your business? Well, there are two or three reasons. First of all, goes back to um, the first why, really goes back to one of our original mandates as individuals or as people. When we were created, we were given a mandate that in part said to be fruitful and to multiply. So one of the reasons that we track performance is to be able to answer the question, did we allocate our dollars well? How are we doing in terms of getting a return or multiplying the dollars that we have been given? Now, being fruitful and multiplying is not limited to just our investment dollars, but it certainly does include our investment dollars. So one of the reasons that we want to track performance is so that we can answer that question, are we being good stewards of what we have been given to oversee, and are we being fruitful, are we multiplying well? A second reason to track performance is this. Some of you listening are setting money aside consistently to prepare for a time where you can roll over instead of roll out. There's going to come a day that you simply do not want to get up and go chase a dollar. It, it does not matter if you're reporting to work from 9 to 5. It does not matter if you own your own business. It really does not matter how you engage with life, money, and business. Because those of you that are listening that are already financially independent, you've got the asset base, you've got the cash flow, you have lots of choices in life, temperamentally, you are still attentive to what's going on financially. I know you. We serve you as clients. I understand how you think. You are still attentive to answering the question, how do I continue to engage and to multiply what I've been given, whether that's time, talent, or treasure? So those of you that are preparing for a future, you have probably set some goals for yourselves that at this time, I would like my life to look like this. And Within the context of bringing clarity to those goals, one of the things that you may have done, and if you have not, we recommend this, one of the things that you may have done is answer the question, what do I expect of my investment portfolio? Do I expect it to return 2% a year? what historically we might have called CD rates, do I expect it to return 10% a year? 
which is along the lines of a 100% stock or 100% equity portfolio. So one of the exercises that we recommend that you put yourselves through is to determine your own expectations about portfolio return. Okay, so set a standard for yourself or get with your financial advisor. If you don't have one, give us a call. But um, get with your financial advisor or get with your spouse or your SO, your significant other, and have that discussion. What do we expect of our money? Give yourselves a long-term expected rate of return. And then the next step is to track performance so that you can answer the question, are our dollars doing what we expected them to do? If they are, you're in good order. If they are not, then it's time to evaluate, are our expectations out of line, or is our allocation out of line, or do we own the wrong stuff? There's a variety of ways of evaluating that, and evaluating that is not the purpose of this conversation. It's sort of to lay the, the foundation for why we track performance. So second is so that you can track progress toward goals. And the third reason, for those of you that are financially independent, some of you that are financially independent, or all of you, depend on invested assets to generate cash flow for you. Again, those invested assets, it's not just a basket of marketable securities. It can also be real estate that generates cash flow. It can be business interest that generate cash flow. But in every situation, it is prudent to track the health of the business, the health of the real estate, evaluate the return, look at the cash flow, and ask yourselves, is what I'm experiencing from the health of these assets, is it doing for me what I want done? And is what's going on, is it sustainable long-term? Is this cash flow going to sustain me, not just this year? Is it going to take care of me, my family, those I love, those I care for? But is it going to take care of me next year, five years from now, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? So those are the reasons that we evaluate. Is it sustainable long-term? Is it moving us toward identified goals? And is it allowing us to be fruitful and to multiply? So that's the reason we evaluate and track performance, results, and outcomes. Um, That's something we specialize in at the firm and be glad to talk with you more about that at any point. But let's look at what happened in in 2021. Uh, The short version is that 2021 was a phenomenal year for the stock market. Uh, 2019 was a good year. 2017 was a good year. But... There are three major retail indices that most people look at that the Standard & Poor's 500, typically called the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial, Industrial Average, and all the newscasters call that the Dow, and then there's the NASDAQ 100, uh, the NASDAQ Composite. All of them finished in the black. The returns were in the, well, for the uh, S&P was almost 27, for the Dow was almost 19, and for the NASDAQ was over 21%. So it was a great year. Stateside, the growth stocks led value stocks. And to bring some definition to that, growth stocks, let me mention some common names, some names you've heard of. Companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google and Alphabet, Netflix, Microsoft, some of those kinds of stocks. Those are some of the large disruptive tech companies commonly referred to as a FANG stocks. But those are examples of growth companies. There are many, many, many growth companies, many of them in disruptive technology, uh, disruptive 
sectors such as technology, healthcare, um, life sciences, some of those kinds of things. And since 2007, growth stocks have outperformed value stocks by about 6 to 7% a year. Have value stocks been profitable? Absolutely. But investors for more than a decade have preferred growth stocks. Value stocks are represented by what many of us would consider boring companies. What do they do? Nah, they just make stuff and make money. And that's all. Uh, the oil companies, and some of you say, boo hiss oil companies. All right, so oil companies or pharmaceutical companies, all right? What do they do? They make drugs, they make money. Uh, oil companies, they extract oil, they refine it, they sell it, they make money. And they pay dividends, okay? Most value-oriented companies are in relatively mature industries. There's often a very, what's called a very large moat. It takes hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to compete with these established companies. And uh, names you might recognize besides oil and, and drugs are food manufacturers like General Mills, General Foods, uh, 3M, Kraft Heinz, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but so many manufacturers, but again, manufacturing is not fancy, it's not exotic, it's not cool like the latest technology. They probably don't have an app that you can download and spend boatloads of money. Maybe they do. But what do they do? They make stuff or they sell stuff. What does Walmart make? Nothing. They just resell it. The only thing they make is money. So those are the value-oriented stocks that are mature industries and, and pay dividends. Those are some very general definitions. But in 2021, as for the last 10 to 15 years, growth stocks outperformed value stocks. In the small cap space, and we track, <coughs> we track the S&P 600 small cap index rather than the Russell 2000, uh, small caps also had a good year with the S&P 600 up 25%, and that has averaged, the S&P 600 has averaged 13% a year over the last 10 years. What's interesting, though, is that if you look at the difference between small growth and small value, small growth has averaged 14% a year over the last 10 years. Small value has averaged 11% a year for the last 10 years. You see the same breakout in the large cap market, the large company market as well, where growth has outperformed value. And the laggard, you know, where values earned 10 to 11% a year over the last 10 years and growth has been 14, 15, 16 over the last 10 years. So here's what happens. Market leadership between growth-oriented stocks and value-oriented stocks changes. The last time value-led growth was about 20 years ago from the early 2000s after the tech bust. For those of you of a certain age, you might remember being invested in the market in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, where those um, so-called internet stocks went from hero to zero in about four, four or five days. And Starting then, the value stocks led from the early 2000s through about 2007 when growth stocks uh, reared their head again. Here's what's unpredictable, is when that leadership will change. For those of us who subscribe to the theory of regression to the mean, 
value-oriented stocks look very attractive right now. Regression to the mean is a st- statistical analysis. <clears throat> and the underlying assumption or the underlying belief is that in the investment world, every sector, every investment class, every asset class, if you want to use that term, has a long-term return measured over decades or centuries. Every asset class has a long-term return. We know that, history tells us this, that there are periods of time when certain sectors will outperform their long-term return. So from 2007 to 2021, growth stocks, large and small, have outperformed their long-term averages. Value stocks over the last 10 years have underperformed their long-term averages. So if I'm investing, I'm an investor like many of you, I'm probably investing in value stocks and given the difference between large and small companies, I'm personally probably overweighting small value. Is that what I'm doing? Mm, I'm not going to say specifically what I'm doing here on the air for the entire world to, to hear about, but prudence dictates that that's probably what I would want to do. By the way, this is just general commentary. This is not specific advice. That's the disclaimer. And trust me, this is not specific advice. Your situation, your life, your money is very specific to your situation. Get advice from people you know, like, and trust. Listen to them. Take their advice. It'll serve you well. So that's what's happened in 2021 and over the last several years. Like in other years, energy, financials, real estate, and infotechnology were the subsectors or the what are called sectors that outperformed in 2021. What's interesting is to go outside the states and look at what happened internationally. The developed markets, let's call that Western Europe for the most part, uh, uh, Western Europe, Australia, um, and some of the other developed markets outside the United States were up in single digits most of the time in the 6 to 9% range depending on which country you're looking at and depending on whether you're looking at a large company index or a small company index. As in the States, energy and infotech were the sector leaders. If you look at emerging markets, the the range of outcomes was significantly different because emerging markets, the emerging and frontier markets, those countries that whose infrastructure is not as well developed as it might be in Western Europe or the U.S. of A. The outcomes were so variable depending on where you were, what size the index was, the economic climate, the political climate, and uh, the response to this virus thing that stopped by a couple of years ago and is still sort of wrinkling the waters. So it was interesting when we looked this up, uh, the indice, the indice outcomes were fascinating. All right, so here's a an index that Dow Jones tracks. It's called the Middle East Caucasus Index. And if you're not familiar with the Caucasus Mountains, look it up. Time doesn't allow us to go into history on the Caucasus Mountains and the outcomes of the movements of people groups around the world. But it's interesting. So there's a Dow Jones Middle East Caucasus Index, and for 2021, it was up more than 31 percent. Okay, 
yeah, it was a, yeah. Mike, Mike's behind the board over here in the studio with me, and so we're we're sort of uh, uh, watching each other while I tell this story. Now, by contrast and in comparison to that, the S and P also tracks a brick. Now, the the brick index B R I C is uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Okay. Now, for those of you that are tracking this, if I happen to miss that, because I just did that from memory, so any of you smart listeners out here that have all this stuff memorized, where I think I have it memorized, if I got that wrong, shoot me an email, let me know. It's uh, R. Brunson at Centurion AG, but the BRIC index is, is um, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, but th- they have something called the BRIC Sharia index, and Sharia refers to Sharia law, law common in the Muslim world. Okay, the BRIC Sharia index had a loss last year of more than 23%. Why? I haven't looked up those details. It was just fascinating to look at the variability in the outcomes across the emerging markets. The instruction that I take from this, because we build portfolios uh, as, as one of the things that we do within our firm, we build portfolios for clients designed to achieve very specific outcomes built around the client's lifestyle preferences, views of the world, asset margin, cash flow margin, and preferences for volatility versus stability. Okay, so there are quite a few variables that go into uh, custom portfolio design. But the takeaway from this is if someone is looking for a stable portfolio, and this is a question for you as you build your own portfolios, how much exposure do you need or want to emerging markets to maintain a stable portfolio? And since emerging markets as a group have underperformed the U.S. domestic indices over the last 10 to 15 years, do we, like we were talking about with small value, do we make the assumption that over the next 10 to 15 years, they will outperform? As a result, what percentage of our portfolios do we allocate there? And how do we track that? And what are the underlying assumptions that we use to make those decisions? And then how do we, where do we gather our information from and where do we gather it to evaluate what's going on in the world and how does that instruct how we put our money to work? So those, those are just a few questions to chew on as if you're taking notes, want to go back and re-listen to this and take some notes, whatever. As you, as you manage your own money and build portfolios, you know, do you listen to the talking heads on TV? How do you get independent research? Uh, some of those kind of things. Let's talk about bonds for a minute before we start offering observations about going forward. Bonds have been on a 40-year bull run. Okay, now, here's the way bonds work. Bond yield and bond price are inversely correlated. For those of you that did not stay awake in statistics class, here's what I just said. When bond yields go up, bond prices go down. When bond prices go up, bond yields go down. For those of you of a certain age, you'll remember this. The rest of you, this is economic sister class. In 1972, Richard Nixon started bringing the troops home from Vietnam. 
He resigned. Gerald Ford took over. Gerald Ford lost the election to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was elected in 1976 because he was not inside the Beltway. He served for four years. The Arab states imposed an oil embargo. The price of oil went from $13 a barrel to $30 a barrel. The price of gas at the pump went from $0.20 to $0.60, and there were gas lines at the pump longer than the lines at the Kaiser facility to get a vaccine shot. That's true. That's true. Those of you that were, you know, had your um, 68 Malibu or your 72 Camaro, uh, you're trying to fill up with gas, you know, and those four barrels would get five uh, miles to the gallon, but baby, they would run. So this is this is true, and it was amazing because and the other thing that was going on was inflation was out of control. We had um, Fed chairman at the time, Paul Volcker, was one who who helped bring it under control, but inflation between 1968 and 1982 averaged, I, this is from memory, so you, you guys look up the details and shoot me an email and tell me I'm crazy and don't know what I'm talking about, but inflation between 1968 and 1982 averaged about 7% a year, and a lot of that took place between 1974 and 1981, which is when I was moving into young adulthood at that point. And the price of cars was going up, the price of gas was going up, the price of homes was going up. Part of the reason real estate was increasing in value is because the first wave of the boomers were creating their homes. The first wave of the, wave of the boomers was born in 46. And the average age of household formation is 33 years old. So this leading edge of the boomers were creating their households in the mid to late 70s. Demand for real estate. If you look at birth trends, there was another birth boom about 32 to 33 years ago. Why are why is real estate prices going up? Several factors. Number one, people don't have to live cooped up in some little bitty apartment in New York City anymore to have a job. Or downtown Atlanta. Number two, so so they want a home. Number two, interest rates are low. Number three, the average age of household formation. So some of it's some of it's what's going on in the world with this virus thing, whatever that is. But a large part of it is just basic secular trends. Interest rates are low, lots of people forming households. So that's what's going on here. That is partly what was going on in the late 70s when real estate was booming. But in the late 70s, there was, um, you could get 16% on a CD. Take your money to the bank, put $100,000, $10,000, $5,000 in a CD at the bank. They would pay you 16% on your money. Of course, then you turn around and you buy a house, you have 20% mortgage rates. That'll make you quiver. Literally makes you vibrate with anxiety. You hear about 20% mortgage rates. Okay, but bond yields were very, very rich. You know, you got you to earn a lot of interest on a bond, which means the price was very low. For the last 40 years, yields on bonds have been going down, and prices on bonds have been going up. To the point that interest rates on CDs are so small, not only do you need to get glasses, you need a magnifying glass to see the interest on your statement. I mean, seriously. Took a client of mine. She sold her house. My, my friend, uh, Pat, sold her house, had $400,000 from this cashier's check from the closing. We took it down to a local bank, a national bank. I won't say their name, but it has America in it. And... Um, they offered her 
on a 13-month CD, she would have earned $280 in one on over 13 months would have earned $280 on a $400,000 CD. How's that for a dandy return? So you, you can't even see that on the statement. It's so small. So that's where we are. Bond, bond prices are so high that there's almost no interest being paid. So bonds have been on a 40-year bull run. Actually, in 2021, bond returns, bond fund, bond returns were negative because although there were some interest credits, the prices themselves dropped. The, 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 the sweet spot in the bond market were tips. Uh, the U.S. Treasury issues several different kinds of government debt, and one of the products they offer is something called TIPS. That's an acronym for Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And I'll, I'll spare you the details on how they're designed, but the short version is that you buy TIPS, and they're designed to track inflation. And so TIPS had a great year because people were, wanted to protect their money because inflation showed up. And by the way, let's let's keep moving here and move on to this question. What is this inflation thing? Because the one question we've had most often over the last 12 months, is inflation simply going to wave as it goes by or is it going to stop for dinner and like spend a week or spend a month or spend several years? It's moving in. It's not going to wave as it drops by. It's not going to stop for dinner, maybe spend the afternoon drinking sweet tea with you. Inflation, baby, is moving in. It's probably going to buy a house in the neighborhood. Because those of you that study history, you study economics, you study the social structure, you'll know that what we are experiencing over the last 12 to 18 months with some social unrest and divisiveness and, and every politician is cat and dog calling everybody else a heathen. doesn't matter what political persuasion you are. It's just it's part of the, you know, part of the white noise of, of life stateside and in other countries as well. And then all this um, this economic dissonance and the haves and haves nots and, and people throwing darts at Jeff Bezos when he gives away, gives away $100 million, which I think is just a fascinating observation. All that stuff that's going on, that happens about every 50 years. It happened in the late 60s and early 70s. Some of you will remember or read about in history books something called the Watts Riots in L.A. in 1965 that spread to Detroit, Chicago, Kansas City, Houston, Dallas, Baltimore, uh, uh, and on and on and on, all through the late 60s, early 70s. You've read about the Kent State shootings in 1972 where the National Guard took aim and killed some students at Kent State, what was in Kent State College in Ohio, it's now university. And so the social unrest and the dissonance and economic turmoil, this is not a new experience. The sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Don't worry about it. Love your people, take care of your people, but good grief, don't get all wired up about this stuff. It's happened before, it'll happen again. It's just part of the, part of the white noise of life. But the question is, will inflation be here? Yes, inflation's here. Why do I say that? The government is printing money. They are creating money out of thin air. I've got a, an email in my inbox with a YouTube clip on it, and the title of it is Debt is Money. So we don't have time for that right now, but I will say with conviction that inflation is going to be with us for several years. wouldn't surprise me if we have a repeat of that period between 68 and 82. Will it last for 15 years? I don't know. My crystal ball is broken. It is at the shop, and the shop will not return my phone call. So is it going to be here for 15 years? I don't know. Will, will we experience it for most of the 20s? That would not surprise me in the least. What assets do well 
in an inflationary environment. Energy stocks, financial stocks, hard assets like real estate, base minerals, so on and so forth. How do you buy them? Mm, I'm out of time. This has been great. I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoy listening. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us. You can, you can literally call me or text me at 678-478-5781. I will respond. You can find us on the web at centurionag.com. This is Randy Brunson with Centurion Advisory Group wrapping up this episode of Stewarding Family Wealth here on Gwinnett Business Radio X. Thank you.